everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Abnormal Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colby Taylor, and I'm super pumped and I'm super surprised that we have over 40,000 listeners now. So awesome. I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, Also, if you hear a loud rumble in the background or a loud bang, uh, I'm recording this episode during a thunderstorm, so no need to worry, or probably no need to worry. It's probably just some thunder in the area. We've had a few mailbag requests that want me to talk about paraphilias. So guess what? Today we're going to talk about paraphilias, or really paraphilic disorders. I'll talk about this distinction in a little bit, the distinction between paraphilia and paraphilic disorder. Um, Disordered sexual behaviors obviously were a focus of Freud and a lot of other early psychologists. Um, Historically, psychology was sort of uh, fixated, see what I did there, uh, on disordered sexual behaviors. Now we've gone sort of in the other direction. We've overcorrected in that paraphilic disorders today are often ignored by clinicians as I sort of ignored them in the first season of my podcast. I didn't really receive training in paraphilias when I was in graduate school. A lot of clinicians don't receive training in paraphilias. Now, admittedly, since I focus on children, I don't really know much or need to know much, hopefully, about paraphilias. Uh, But paraphilias have their own section in the DSM-5, their own family. This section is different from what we had in the DSM-4, when they were included in the sexual and gender identity disorder section. I mentioned a little bit ago that there's a difference between paraphilias and paraphilic disorders. Let's define paraphilia first. For the word nerds, we can look at the origin of the term paraphilia. Para, of course, means beside, and philia means love, right? Bibliophiles love books, Francophiles love France, and pedophiles, um, we'll get to those in a little bit. So paraphilia literally translates to beside love. It was coined in the early 20th century by Friedrich Solomon Krauss, who was sort of a super early sexologist. Uh, He attended the University of Vienna, and he would become influential to the work of another University of Vienna graduate, Sigmund Freud. Anyways, according to the DSM-5, a paraphilia is, quote, any intense and persistent sexual interest other than sexual interest in general stimula- gen- genital stimulation or preparatory fondling with phenotypically normal, physically mature, consenting partners. So basically, sexual arousal outside of what we consider normal sex between consenting adults. Since we have the super ambiguous term normal here, this is sort of a hazy and controversial topic. Like, can we draw a distinction between sexual kinks, like being kinky or freaky or whatever, and paraphilias? Uh, That's going to be sort of controversial. If this stuff sounds cool to you, you might find the field of deviant sexuality interesting. Sometimes you'll see paraphilia contrasted with normophilia, which would be normal or socially accepted sexual preferences. Well, luckily, paraphilias themselves aren't really the subject of clinical attention. They have to become paraphilic disorders to get really get on clinicians' radars. Um, a paraphilic disorder is a paraphilia, so sort of a non-normal sexual preference that causes distress or impairment to the person that has it or causes risk of harms to others. This last piece, can cause harm to others, is actually where we get the term paraphilia from. Remember, para means beside. This means that love, or disordered love in this case, has a target beside or outside of the person. This can cause harm to others piece is also important because as we'll see, 
Some paraphilic disorders involve criminal behaviors. You'll see the term SVP, sexually violent predator, attached to some paraphilic disorders. But again, there's a huge range. Some paraphilic disorders will only cause shame or guilt to the person experiencing them, while others will result in predatory and criminal behaviors on others. So in the DSM-5, we have 10 paraphilic disorders. Voyeuristic disorder, exhibitionistic disorder, frauderistic disorder, sexual masochism disorder, sexual sadism disorder, pedophilic disorder, fetishistic disorder, transvestic disorder, other specified paraphilic disorder, and unspecified paraphilic disorder. Um, so I guess I should briefly go through these and describe them. Uh, with exhibitionistic disorder, you get turned on by showing your man or lady bits to another person. And importantly, this person is non-consenting. In my experiences, exhibitionists tend to be males. Um, and I know several times when visiting Europe, there would be men that would flash the women that I was with. Um, so I'm not sure if this is more prevalent in Europe or if this was more of a population density sort of thing, since we were in bigger cities when we were in Europe. Either way, um, it wasn't really appreciated. Uh, I've also talked with female therapists who have told me that male clients have sort of whipped it out during session. And I think that these clients sort of wanted a shock factor. And one way to handle this, besides calling the police, um, is to ignore it and not gratify the shock that, uh, that the client expects. Um, anyways, then we have voyeuristic disorder. So instead of wanting to be seen like you do with exhibitionistic disorder, here you're wanting to see others sort of as a peeping Tom. And you're spying on other people who are naked or engaging in sexual activities. Uh, also more common in males. So the term peeping Tom, you know, sort of implies that uh, it's men that do this. And yes, we do see it way more prevalent in men than, in men than women. Um, next, we'll get a feel for frauderistic disorder. Uh, which essentially is getting aroused from copying a feel. So here you get arousal from touching or rubbing a non-consenting person or non-consenting person. Uh, and what's crazy is that the DSM says that up to 30% of the adult male population might commit frauderistic acts. Um, my hunch would be that alcohol is involved in a lot of these incidents. So these first three, exhibitionistic, voyeuristic, and frauderistic, are all more common in males and can all be grouped together in what the DSM-5 calls courtship disorders. Then the next two are SNM, sexual sadism disorder, and sexual masochism disorder. The DSM-5 groups these as algolagnic disorders, as they both involve pain. Sadism involves getting turned on by hurting others, whereas masochism involves getting turned on by hurting or humiliating yourself. But being into kinky SNM stuff, being into Fifty Shades of Grey and Whips and Chains or whatever, is not in itself a paraphilic disorder. It has to cause harm somewhere, either to you or your partner, or cause significant distress to yourself. Then our last three disorders, pedophilic, transvestic, and fetishistic disorder, are subgrouped as anomalous target preference disorders. Because here you have a preference that's not considered culturally acceptable. With pedophilic disorder, you're sexually attracted to prepubescent children generally under the age of 13 years. Also, you're not an adolescent yourself, so you can't have pedophilic disorder if you're under the age of 16 or if there is less than a five-year age difference between your own age and the child you're attracted to. Uh, child porn um, is considered pedophilic disorder. And I was surprised by the prevalence estimates here. 
Um, it could be as common as one in 20 men. It could be as common as 5% of men. And I didn't think it was that common. Uh, but since this is such a taboo topic, it's probably really hard to get good numbers on the prevalence of this due to social desirability response bias. Anyways, uh, there's some controversy here about culture. In some cultures, marrying a child is considered socially acceptable. In fact, in a lot of cultures in history, there are marriages between like 10-year-olds and 30-year-olds. Um, does this count as a disorder if it's not socially anomalous, using the DSM-5 language? Um, if it was socially acceptable at the time or in that culture? Um, this could be a really hot-button question. Another anomalous disorder is fetishistic disorder, where you're turned on by a non-living object or a non-genital body part. And the sexual arousal causes some sort of harm or distress. Fetishes seem to be incredibly common. Almost as many as half of people have them, uh, according to some estimates that I've seen. And the most common type of fetish by far is foot fetish, which um, research indicates is about one in seven uh, men. All right, our last paraphilic disorder is transvestic disorder. This is being turned on by cross-dressing. And the sexual arousal causes harm or distress. As I mentioned on another podcast, this is not being transgender. A lot of men with transvestic disorder might be labeled as having autogynophilia or autogynophilia. And this is where you get turned on by imagining yourself as female. So those are the paraphilic disorders. Uh, we also had a few paraphilic disorders that were under consideration but didn't make the cut for the DSM-5. Um, one is hypersexuality disorder. And hypersexuality has long been scrutinized by psychologists, right? We had Freudian libido and everything. Um, having a strong sexual appetite is not in itself disordered. Um, some might consider it healthy. In men, you might have heard it called Don Juanism or satirism. And in women, you might hear this called nymphomania. Though I think in recent years, nymphomania has become a popular term to use for both men and women. Uh, another one that didn't quite make the cut is paraphilic coercive disorder. And this is where you get turned on by engaging in sexual activities with non-consenting partners. So perpetrating rape is not in itself a diagnosable mental condition, according to the DSM-5. And as you can imagine, there's a ton of controversy with this one. Uh, there was a ton of controversy when this was not included in the DSM-5 when it was published in 2013. Um, paraphilias, so not the disordered stuff, may be way more common than we think. Um, a research study by Joyle and colleagues in 2015 found that 57% met DSM-5 criteria for having paraphilic interest. And this is a pretty large scale um, study, had a pretty large sample. Over half would have met criteria for having a paraphilia. Um, in the study, 53 sexual fantasies were presented to the sample. And of those 53, only two came up as being rare. And these were having sex with a child under age 12 and having sex with an animal, so pedophilia and bestiality. Um, all right, so those are paraphilias. Again, this episode came about due to a mailbag request. Uh, you can send mailbag requests to ctaylo41 at cbu.edu with the subject line mailbag, and I'll answer your questions or make your episode request into reality. Um, I don't think we had a single thing of thunder during this episode, so we got lucky. Uh, also, my power stayed on, so I got lucky. All right, that's it for this episode. Um, until the next one, take care and stay well.